about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this in gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And then to the next chapter, starting from verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, for love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Well, good evening. My name is Mike, one of the pastors here, and it's great to have you with us tonight. If you are new tonight, or if you've been invited along to watch tonight, so glad you're here. Uh, As Andrew said, this is part two of a series focusing around hope, uh, especially in a time where so many feel hopeless. So if you missed last week, uh, you can check it out on YouTube, um, and uh, I hope that would bless you. I've been really encouraged to hear stories of how people have been sharing Um, psalms and kind of words of encouragement to one another. But the the short of it was that last week I called us to tell ourselves a better story, that we would hold on to hope by telling ourselves a better story, a better story than, you know, just rolling around to that 11 a.m. conference time, uh, kind of the media time, uh, to just trading vaccine stats. I mean, those all tell a story, but I'm asking us to tell ourselves a better story, one that's grander, one that's deeper, one that's better, and that focuses on the the living hope that we have in Jesus, who has been raised from the dead, so that we can trust that God really is with us in this, and that not even death can hold him back. And so we're opening up a space for God to be God, uh, for Jesus to be the hero of our stories. And uh, I asked us to particularly to drop three anchors into that bigger story, that we would grieve well, owning our mortality that we would refine our focus, use this time of strangeness, of suffering, uh, this trial, to refine our focus on what's important and to be merciful to ourselves and to others. And as we drop those anchors into the bigger story, as we immerse ourselves in the living hope of Jesus, it is my hope that Jesus would be on our hearts and our lips more and more and make it easier for us to actually hold out hope. So the more we hold on to hope, the more we join our story to God's, the easier it is to hold out this hope of Jesus. Because in the midst of this drawn-out season, where mental health is suffering, uh, when people are swimming in a sea of anxiety, 
uh, where people are frustrated, desperately longing and in real need, I see a people of hope. I see a people who have their joy secured like the inheritance kept in heaven, shielded in God's power. I see a people who have hope when others do not. And I see a people holding out that hope of the Lord Jesus. That's what I long for. That's what I'm seeing in our community and I long for it all the more. And so imagine, right? Imagine you're kind of like, just on the introduction, you're kind of like, yes, let's do this. Uh, you cross the street. I mean, it's night, but imagine, right? You cross the street to your COVID-anxious neighbor uh, with the opener. Brother, friend, you don't need to fear death anymore because Jesus has died for your sins. Uh, you don't need to fear judgment because Jesus has taken care of that. And now because he has been raised from the dead, uh, you can have life to the full. I mean, how, do you, how do you think that would go down? Uh, particularly if it's your opener. I mean, I, I reckon I'd have better luck convincing my neighbor that Jan down the road has cooked up a vaccine that's going to save us. You know, it's just, I joke, but why, why is that? Why is it that when this world is so needing hope, that holding out the living hope of Jesus is so unbelievable? That's what we're kind of tracking tonight. It's a huge topic. And just like last week, uh, there's more than uh, I could do in just 20 minutes. Uh, and I'll use 1 Peter again as a bit of a scaffold to kind of have a crack at this, uh, answering this and, and wrestling with this topic, I'm particularly going to use 1 Peter 3.15. But I'll use plenty of hooks and kind of just ideas that I'm going to skim across that you can pick up in the Q&A or, or in discussion during the week. But my outline is really simple. It's one verse. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And it's three points. Here we go. What are we being called to first and foremost? Uh, who are we addressing? And how might we go about that? All right, let's do it. Okay, firstly, what are we being called to first and foremost? It is to revere Christ. As I, as I challenge us to reach our community, our city, our world in need of hope and of Jesus, you know, where it would be so much easier to just kind of pull up the doona, hit on Netflix, continue, I'm still here, let's keep watching, uh, I want us to first and foremost worship. I want us to acknowledge who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Uh, to put it in the narrative terms of last week, uh, I want us to constantly make Jesus the hero of our story. And we kind of, you know, verse 18, uh, as was read for us, uh, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. As we kind of be reminded of what God has done for us in Jesus, He has suffered, entered into our suffering and suffered for us so that we might be brought into the fellowship of God. Jesus has drawn us, our story, into that grander story, into that fellowship. And we are reminded of what we have in Jesus when everything kind of feels against you. Come back to the promises and, and all that you have in Christ, the forgiveness of sins, the new life in Him. That He has gone before us and is with us. And He's now seated at the right hand of the Father. He's praying for you. He's pouring His Spirit upon you. Friends, let us be reminded of these truths. And you have all of this by grace. All of it by grace. So today's not a... It's not a propaganda campaign of kind of go make Jesus known. It's, it's, it's first and foremost a worship of Jesus and an overflow of that. Right? Just reveling in the hope that we have 
and wanting others to find it. Revere Christ. But this call to revere Christ as Lord, uh, it's not in a vacuum. I mean, Peter's writing this specifically uh, to specific Christians in a specific point in time because his readers are under pressure. The verse before, verse 14, gives us that uh, kind of context. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. He says this particularly, do not fear their threats, do not be frightened. We know how fear eats hope. I mean, when you kind of imagine uh, something really good and kind of head towards it, and that might be really big what you're imagining, uh, and that could be anything, but all of a sudden sort of those niggling kind of fears start creeping in of kind of what, what's up for grabs, what failure might look like, you might not get there, and that fear just eats away at hope. For the original hearers of this, they feared persecution. They feared kind of the safety on their, their livelihoods, and they were minority Christians. They were already scattered because of persecution, and, you know, even they were believers in this, this new Christian faith, and even though it had roots in kind of an ancient Jewish, Jewish tradition, it was an anomaly and a stain on the kind of powers it be, the pagan powers, uh, the, even kind of the worship uh, of Caesar. These Christians were a threat to that balance. But Peter's reminding them that they're playing an entirely different game. The story that they're now embedded in is completely different to the narrative of the world. And Jesus, see, he, he subverted power. He brought us out of that kind of, that, that competition of power by, by showing us how God uses his power to suffer, to save. See, see verse, back to verse 18, Christ suffered once for sins. And so he's inviting them into an entirely new world order. As we look to that kind of second passage in chapter 4, he's inviting us to practice that order in, in love, in hospitality, in service, that doesn't close itself off as though it kind of needs to be protected against the threats of the world, but to, to do these things openly, to live openly amidst threat, rooted in something that can withstand anything, even death. For Paul will later on say in Romans that uh, not even death can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing can. Peter is inviting us to live out the living hope that cannot be quenched by the fear of even death. Friends, do not fear. Revere. That's what he's calling us to, first and foremost. And as we, as we revere Christ, holding on to Jesus, our living hope, the hero of our story, we start thinking about who, me, who we might share this with. Who we might share this with. Who might we share this with? Anyone who asks about our life, hope, and faith. I used to um, idolize this, this particular passage, thinking kind of like, you know, imagining kind of how people might ask me. Oh, oh, Mike, I see how joyful you are. I see kind of the hope you have. Can you tell me about this hope? Oh, yes, it's Jesus. Oh, Jesus, I want some of him in my life. I mean, I don't know if you've had that conversation, but I haven't had that conversation. Not like that. But I have kind of had that conversation actually over time, sometimes over years, where I get to kind of do life with people and people over time say, you know, start asking questions, sometimes not explicit, uh, but it enables the conversation to travel in that direction where I can share the hope that I have. Sometimes the conversation goes a bit more like this. Hey, Bible guy, where's your God now? Hashtag COVID's ruined everything. I mean, that's a, that's a real question, isn't it, that's being asked. And sometimes 
as people who think they have the answers, or at least perceive to have the answers to everything? Uh, that seems like an obvious question. But as I think about the, the culture we swim in, I just want to do a little bit of work on kind of where we sit in, this, in culture today. There's a great similarity between where we are in 2021 and, and the culture of the readers of 1 Peter. Although there's also a difference. Uh, Stephen McAlpine, who wrote a book called Being the Bad Guy, he's not a huge fan of the title, but it is a great book, just one Christian uh, book of the year, Australian Christian book of the year. He describes kind of first culture, second and third culture. Uh, first culture is the culture that the audience of 1 Peter are living in. And it's a world of competing gods. Uh, there's, you know, there's a whole kind of transcendent realm with different pagan gods. Caesar is worshipped as a god. And uh, there's that balance of power as it may. And that, that's why kind of the Christians were being persecuted, because they were upsetting the balance of that, and they were asserting power over that to kind of keep things in play. But second culture was that moment where Christianity came to the fore. Uh, the Roman Empire became highly Christianized. And it became, rather than a competition of gods, a monotheistic culture and evangelistic. Because as people believed in one true God, they wanted that truth to be known, and it became evangelistic in that sense. Uh, Christianity broke down the tribal barriers um, uh, of, of that first culture. But what's happened from there is, is we no longer live in that second culture. That was probably obvious to most of us. And for some of us, we think that because we're now post-Christian, we've sort of reverted back to the first culture. Uh, McAlpine describes the strategy of Christians who think that as those who set up the stalls, their stalls, alongside everyone else in a free market, confident in a chance to share their wares. But we're not in the first culture anymore. Stephen McAlpine goes on to talk about how we are now in a third culture that has rejected and sealed itself off from anything transcendent. And it's now got all these kind of built-in features that resist kind of the tactics that might have worked in the first and second culture. So what does that mean? The main difference is the reception that we might get when we think we can share our wares and the traction that we might have as we try and tell people about the God who is transcendent. What has prime authority now is personally constructed meaning. And woe betide us if we go into that marketplace to share our wares and it causes harm to another person's authority and meaning. So, how should we posture ourselves in such a culture? Well, despite the differences between first and third culture, I think the gospel posture that Peter asks us to, uh, to exhibit is the same posture we should exhibit today. Verse 15 and 16, he says... As we go about sharing the hope we have, uh, we should, uh, verse 15, uh, to everyone who asks you, give a reason for the hope you have, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. And sometimes uh, that being ashamed of their slander doesn't happen in the moment, but over time as the character and your testimony uh, is exposed and shared over, over a long period of time when they see the true grit of who you are under pressure. So we're called to a gentleness, a respect, a servant attitude towards others, even those who would persecute us. But does that sound familiar? Does that kind of sound like Jesus-like? It just feels to me like this, this non-anxiousness, that while culture is going to shift all around us, we're called to be gentle like Jesus, to use the, whatever power we have like Jesus. And this is not a culture war moment. Sometimes we feel that. 
this kind of threat or hostility, real or perceived, makes us feel like we need to build our defense barricades and we need to get ready for war. But the war's been won. Jesus has died on the cross and has been raised from the dead. And it makes me think about how Matthew 28, when Jesus, with all the authority, says that he'll be with us and that we are to baptize people of all nations. That's not a colonizing command. It is a longing for all people to find hope in Jesus, that they would be baptized, and for us to put all our energy and hopes into that. But it's not a power play. It's not a war move. Instead, we're, able, we're, we're called to listen, to love, to be gracious. And as we come back to look at our key verse, being ready to give an answer to everyone, the kind of key thing for me as I've been reflecting on this is that answering comes after we've adopted this posture of listening, of loving, of being gracious. It, of course, presupposes a question. Has anybody asked you to give the hope that you have? And if, if they haven't asked that question, why not? Are they asking anything about you? Do you feel like you're able to actually uh, even kind of um, prompt that kind of question that you might be able to answer? I, mean, I sort of want to put a little bit of pe a pebble in your shoe at that point to kind of help you think about, well, maybe my relationships aren't quite like that. Well, how could they be like that? Now, I don't want us to be kind of particularly fretting about third culture, first culture. I want us to be aware about the waters that we swim in and the kind of reception we might receive. But what I find quite interesting about third culture is that it has a particular focus on a, the particularity of the individual. And I think, actually, when we think about answering people, I want us to think about particular people. When we're called to love our neighbor, we're being called to love in particularity, in the encounter of a neighbor, a person who asks a question. Because I want to zoom into thinking about particular people because the particular people around us have their own stories, have their own hopes, have their own way of kind of making sense of this world, even in the mess of this. And I wonder actually if COVID is actually pulling back the kind of the doona of our comfortable lives to expose kind of the fact that most people maybe haven't thought or trying to wrestle with how the world works. Friends, I want you to be curious. I want you to love. I want you to ask questions of other people on how they make sense of the world and what hope looks like for them. Because how could we expect people to ask us the question if we're not asking them, if we're not able to engage in meaningful conversation beyond Netflix and whatever it is that's exciting you at the moment? I mean, Jesus is, is a master of this, as he is in many things, in all things, really. Uh, when he kind of encounters the woman at the well, uh, he doesn't just kind of sprout some kind of generalized gospel tract. Uh, he, what he does is he addresses the woman in her particularity. He's able to speak about uh, water that will quench eternally, about real spiritual worship and truth. And he's able to do that because she is looking for satisfaction, has not yet found it. She's been looking for it uh, in, in multiple husbands and is still unsatisfied. Jesus invites her to find true satisfaction in him. Or maybe the kind of the rich young guy who comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to be saved? And kind of we would love him to answer and kind of like, well, just believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior. <laughs> uh, but Jesus doesn't say that. He says something very unlikely, very sort of works-based it feels, when he says to the guy, you should give up everything you have, sell it and give it to the poor. 
And what kind of answer is that to inherit salvation? But Jesus knew the heart of this person. He knew that his story was one of uh, putting wealth up above God. And so Jesus calls him to faith and repentance on that very thing. Friends, as we meet particular people, would we be curious? Would we be loving? Would we be gracious in understanding the particularity of their stories in the hope that we might be able to share something of ours as well? I mean, that's kind of how, when you think about it, that's real relationships. When two people feel like they can trust one another to share vulnerably. And it's not just me thinking this up. This book I found really helpful. Uh, It's called I Once Was Lost, uh, subtitled What Postmodern Skeptics Taught Us About Their Path to Jesus. And what we find here uh, in in kind of the research of this book, uh, interviews of thousands of people um, who were skeptics, postmoderns, they didn't sort of just come across a tract and go, oh, that makes sense, I'll believe in that. It was an entire journey beginning, firstly, with trust, and particularly trusting a Christian. Because when you think about postmodern skepticism and this kind of post-Christian, post-truth world we live in, it is highly distrustful of the, uh, of the institution. And so the idea of sort of just coming to church per se and kind of hearing a message and going, well, that makes complete sense in my life, it kind of feels a bit more far-fetched these days because they're naturally distrusting of the institution. But when people come across Christians who kind of subvert whatever perceptions they have about the institution they learn to trust again, uh, particularly trust that person and those person's experiences and stories. And as they trust, they then become curious and it opens up a posture of curiosity, uh, a relationship where there's vulnerability and kind of exploration and from there an openness, an openness to actually really explore Jesus. It's a great book, uh, Five Thresholds is kind of how it's been picked up by InterVarsity uh, Press, um, but we can talk more about that another time. Friends, the the thing I want to sort of get us to sort of focus on this now is as I come back to my kind of uh, original question about you know, crossing the road to share Jesus with your neighbor and how ridiculous it might sound to share the gospel, to share the gospel with this neighbor, is that the plausibility of kind of what we're sharing, it, it doesn't just depend on kind of facts and evidence. It is now highly dependent on stories, on experience, on community. Friends, let us have lives that have this gospel posture of openness, of of love, of graciousness, of respect, even under pressure. And as we demonstrate our curiosity and a genuine love in other people, may we be able to also share the hope that we have, answering those people about the hope that we have. Now, as a little sidebar here, this is why it is so damning when the church, its leaders, Christians, fall short of the righteousness we're called to. Not only do we drag God's name through the mud, but our failures as a church pushes people further and further away in their distrust of the institution and all that Jesus uh, calls us to be. Friends, thank God for grace, that we are saved in our failures. But let us pray that we as a church, as, as Christians, would be able to hold out real meaning and real hope. So how might we prepare? Well, uh, I went too far. Uh, Well, scouts' motto is kind of be prepared, uh, but we've got something a bit more meaty than just kind of some scout kind of creed. We've got the living hope of the Lord Jesus. And really, when I think about preparing, uh, preparing to give a reason, 
uh, an answer, sorry, which is kind of the root word behind that is apologia, which is where we get apologetics, this kind of defense. Uh, but when, when we prepare to give an answer, we're firstly to revere Christ. We're to be aware of the culture we swim in. We're to kind of adopt this gospel posture and, and, uh, and, and be able to promote a curiosity that opens up questions and exploration. But I don't have kind of five tactics, five kind of like, you know, if you ask this question or do this thing, it will be great for evangelism. Jesus doesn't give us that per se. He calls us to love our neighbor. But I've got a few things to maybe help us think about bringing all this together, both last week and this week. And sort of for me, as I think about these things, the phrase mind the gap comes to mind. And I say mind the gap because, as I've just said, third culture rejects any sort of transcendent uh, story, any spiritual reality. And so how might we cross that gap? Well, firstly, worship Jesus, the Jesus who crossed the gap for us, who suffered for us. Let us work in our own heart, first and foremost, worshiping Jesus. But but the second thing, I want us to, as chapter 4 said uh, in verse 7, as, as we acknowledge that the end of all things is near, therefore be alert and sober-minded. Let us be alert to the way God is at work in our lives. I actually think one of the most critical things we can do in our sort of evangelism, in holding out hope, is to share our testimonies. And I don't mean kind of some kind of four-minute sort of prepared soapbox moment where you share, well, I was born, blah, 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 blah. I, I mean by testimonies, I, I mean the way that God has been at work in our life. This last week, today, the last month. And so that when people ask you, uh, well, where's your God now? Hashtag COVID ruined everything. You're able to actually reflect on the way God's been at work in your life and, and the honest wrestling you've been doing. And so rather than kind of wheeling out some prepared apologetics answer that tries to tie it all up in a neat bow, you might be able to say, I've been wrestling with that too. Do you know there's a whole chunk of scriptures in the Psalms wrestling with where are you, God? And as you kind of share your own testimony, your own story, the way you've been crossing the gap between your story and God's grander story, you might be able to open up something more. For instance, what if the person asking that question isn't just trying to take a swing, but is actually desperately trying to find faith and is angry with God at kind of how messed up this seems and how vacant or how empty the idea of God is? Well, you might only get access to what's happening for that person as you share honestly how you've been working through this. Because, friends, we don't have it all worked out. We follow the one who has. But as we share our honest lives, as we share the way God's been at work in our life, which is the reason why I got you to drop these anchors into joining your story into God's story, the more we do that, the more we might find Jesus on our lips more easily in everyday conversation. Do you know who does this really well? My Pentecostal brothers and sisters do this really well. In, in the conversations I've had with Pentecostals, that they so easily uh, just are thankful for the way Jesus is working in their life. It just, sort of, it just flows out all the time in my experience in chatting with them. Uh, I, I would love us to be a people who speak so easily and beautifully about the way the Lord Jesus is at work in our lives. And friends, let's be intentional in our friendships in kind of, you know, really respecting that God's placed particular people in our lives, our colleagues, our neighbors. Would we be praying for them? Uh, Would we kind of really lean into the possibilities of those relationships? And as we pray for them, 
I mean, look for kind of easy opportunities. I mean, I don't think it's ever been easier to invite people to church than it is now. To say, hey, if you ever wondered what we did in church, in case you thought it was some weird cult thing, hey, just check it out on YouTube. <laughs> I mean, it, maybe you're like that tonight. Maybe you've been invited along. And that's so great. I hope you kind of, hope it's not too weird and cultish for you. But friends, when we do things like Alpha, for instance, and I'm going to talk about, or Andrew will talk about in the announcements, that we'll, we'll run another Alpha course. That these are moments in the life of our church. We try and create a space for people to come and explore, to be open, to build relationships of trust and vulnerability, to honestly explore Jesus. That's only a culmination of what we are doing already as a people of God. It's not an outsourced strategy where we do, do a thing over there and kind of we'll try and do some evangelism there. It, it's, it's really, if we're all as, as a church, uh, kind of just trying to practice vulnerable, genuine, gospel intentional conversations with people, well, Alpha is just a way to bring that together and to maybe encourage sort of a, a conversation amongst other people on a similar journey. The reason why I say this is because I want to see more and more people come to know Jesus in this place. I mean, have you heard the language of this church described as a gospel outpost? I mean, it's a beautiful suburb, a beautiful kind of part of the city we're placed in, but it is dark spiritually, and people don't know how to cross that gap. Would we allow God to use us in profound and creative ways, in gracious and loving ways? I wonder how God might use you this week. I wonder what you might allow him to use you for, to kind of Stop just pulling up the doona, as it were, and actually dig into the hope you have in Jesus and be ready to hold that out. And my hope is that as God continues to use us, that he would draw a many people to himself, that we'd be known in this community, in this part of the city, as a people of hope when there is so much hopelessness around. And as I kind of imagine what we're being called into, the last part of chapter, or chapter 4 that was read out to us, kind of puts some, some legs on what I imagine. When Peter says, the end of all things is near. There is an urgency. Jesus will return. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded so that you might pray. First and foremost, revere. And then he describes the way we might love one another deeply. Offer hospitality. And I'm, I really miss people around my table, but we can still posture ourselves in a way that is hospitable and welcoming to other people. Uh, we can use our gifts and, and to serve. We can, we can speak as though ones that speak the very words of God. But above all, we should do so knowing that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. May it be so. Let me pray. Our Father, would you use us, your servants, people who have been redeemed from sin, from darkness, by your grace and your love, would we be a people of grace and love, postured to open up conversation, to really be curious about what's happening in the lives and the hearts of those around us, that we might be too ready to share the hope that we have. Father, that is a hope that is so often looked down upon. So let us be ready to suffer well, if that's what you're calling us to but above all, let us not fear, let us revere Christ and let us worship him in everything we do, being bold in the way that we pursue opportunities. Father, we long to see this part of the city under the banner of Christ. So use us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thanks for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.